Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Duval, welcome in to another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan DeLuga, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. Today we're going to take a look at some news, some... Uh, some PFF predictions about the Jaguars offseason. Uh, we're going to talk about the franchise tag window that just opened this week, a couple days ago. See if any of the Jaguars unrestricted free agents maybe make sense for that franchise tag or one of the other tags out there that are uh, available to NFL teams. And then we'll run through my mock offseason that I published earlier today on genjag.com where we go through free agency and the draft, kind of taking a bigger picture look at what this offseason could look like for the Jaguars when all is said and done. Uh, So, yeah, a lot of fun stuff to get into today. Jeremy, how are you doing, bud? Yeah, man, we're we're doing good. The offseason is officially, I guess you could say, started uh, in in terms of the uh, tag period and all that kind of stuff getting underway. Free agency is right around the corner, so... It's time to shake things up, right? Trying to make some ways, make some changes. Hopefully the Jaguars can make and, uh, start making some big moves here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're going to have to if they want to give Trevor Lawrence any chance to have a better year two than he did year one. And, of course, a lot of what happened in year one was not on Trevor. You had the drops. You had some questionable offensive game planning, calling, sequencing. You had offensive line that kind of deteriorated throughout the year. A lot of injuries around Trevor. Um, a defense that didn't always hold up its end of the bargain either. So there was a lot that went wrong. And obviously a head coach that was completely out of his depth. Um, they've got the head coach squared away. think that you're going to have a much more professional head coach here and coaching staff in general. But now it's going to come down to that roster. And that's what this portion of the year is all about. I'd like to remind everybody to check out genjag.com for all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. And now we'll take a look at a couple of ideas, predictions that Pro Football Focus has put out there regarding the Jaguars offseason. So I think this is certainly the more maybe controversial take that they had here. They have the Jaguars trading pick number 33, and a fifth-round pick for Cowboys wide receiver Amari Cooper. Now, it makes sense in the fact that the Cowboys are cash-strapped. They have C.D. Lamb. They have a lot of other expensive guys that they need to take care of. Michael Gallup is set to be a free agent. And Amari Cooper apparently has drawn the ire of some people within the organization, um, probably just more frustration as a whole that the Cowboys have not made it further in the playoffs than they have. But Amari Cooper, super expensive contract, $22 million a year. Um, and the Cowboys didn't get it done the last few years that he's been there. So I see why on the Cowboys end it makes sense to move Amari Cooper. I think that 
that totally lines up. My question for you, Jeremy, is it does it make sense for the Jaguars? I like it. I don't hate it. I mean, like you mentioned, it is a big contract. Um, you know, it's it's definitely uh, probably one of the larger wide receiver contracts in the NFL right now. But Amari Cooper, at least in my opinion, when you get outside of the free agent grouping that we have right here, is one of the top receivers that are realistically available to the Jaguars, right? And so it would cost you probably that first, second round pick, like you mentioned. And they, I think they mocked a fifth to the Cowboys as well. It may take a little bit more than that, maybe a fourth. You know, I don't really know exactly what the Cowboys would look for someone like Amari Cooper. But in my opinion, the Cowboys are the ones who are kind of pressed against the rock and a hard place here, right? So they have all that money that they have on the books for Amari Cooper. They are more interested in getting rid of him. So would they rather flat out cut him or at least get something? My mind would say they would at least get something. Uh, so if you're the Jaguars, why not try to make this trade? If you're worried about you know giving up an early second round pick like that, you have many other ways to get yourself back into the second round. Maybe get yourself multiple picks in the first round. We'll touch on that a little bit later, I'm sure. So there are things that you can do to make this, you know, sort of a lateral move for the team. And, and I think if you can get a guy like Amari Cooper in here uh, to become the foundation, the base of your wide receiver room, your number one for Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, it's a pretty good spot to be in. Yeah, if you're just talking X's and O's, landing Amari Cooper. I mean, he's a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. He just is. I know there's some people that have their, you know, their criticisms of Amari Cooper, but pound for pound, X's and O's wise, I don't think you can find 10 better guys than Amari Cooper. Now, that contract, he's the fourth highest paid receiver in football. So you look at that um, combined with the fact that you're not just picking up that contract and adding that to your your uh, salary cap total, you're also adding the fact that you're giving up the top pick in the second round. I could care less about the fifth round pick. Um, so, yeah, in a vacuum, adding Amari Cooper to the Jaguars wide receiver room to that offense, you're giving Trevor Lawrence a legitimate number one target. There's no question about it. He is a number one target in the NFL. He's 28. I mean, he should have conceivably a handful of good years left. There's three years left on his contract. The only way I would give up that two and take on that contract is if I'm working out some sort of uh, signing bonus to where we can cut that number down. Where he's not losing out on money, but the Jaguars' salary cap is going to look a little prettier than $20 million a year. That is hard to stomach when you're also giving up that second-round pick. Yeah, and that's completely viable. And you know the way that teams are able to restructure contracts and move money around these days makes it totally, totally realistic for this team. It really does. And so, I mean, when you look at it, right, even if you were to pay that amount of money, which, again, I don't think they'd be interested in doing that as well for Amari Cooper, the price tag, but you look at it and you say, okay, well – we're going to go out and, and hypothetically speaking, if they sign a guy like Devonte Adams, which I think we are all on the page, that's probably not realistic at all whatsoever. I mean, think about the money that you're going to have to shell out for that guy, right? So obviously you want to get that number down a little bit, but you know, if money is your issue, if money is your gripe, I mean, that's just a fact to show you that you are going to have to pay premium top dollars 
for a receiver like that that you think can truthfully change the offense and progress Trevor Lawrence? You have to put the money down. So you can probably make it a little better for yourself, but but getting away from the money, regardless of who you go after and where you place it, it's going to have to be there. Yeah, so my question would be, what's a better allocation of resources? Trading a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick and picking up Amari Cooper, who, outside of Devontae Adams, wouldn't you agree he would be the best receiver on the market, so to speak, out of all the guys that are in free agency, Amari Cooper is better than all of them except for Devontae Adams. Uh, proven, yes. Yes, yes, I agree. I would agree with that. He he would definitely be number two along with Devontae Adams, but I mean, it depends on how you look at, if talking about like the whole scope of everything, right? You still have Chris Godwin out there. I mean, guys you can make arguments for. Chris Godwin, DK Metcalf, uh, in my opinion, we look at potential age, um, but just well, DK Metcalf's not available. No, but they, but they were. But Seattle has been rumored to be, you know, potentially looking at right. him I mean, as well. If he's so, available. Sure. Well, but, yeah. yeah. Right. 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 So you got to look at. I mean, just comparing him to the under, unrestricted free agents. Completely in the unrestricted free agents. I would. I would maybe. I would maybe put Chris Godwin a little bit above him just because of the age. Um, but if we're looking at you know strictly, I mean, that's it right there. Those are your top three. If you're going to put him into that category, those are your top three. And Chris Godwin and and um, Amari Cooper, you know, could be a two A two B there. I wouldn't, uh, you know, obviously get angry at anybody for for thinking otherwise. So yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Yeah, I think you can debate Cooper and Godwin. What I think gives Cooper the upper hand here, just based off his skill set, is he's an X. Godwin is more of a slot receiver. He certainly can win on the outside, but you don't want to pigeonhole him as an outside receiver. You want to get Godwin in the slot. Cooper is he's a guy that can win on the outside consistently against the best corners in football. Um, so, yeah, I love both. Obviously, Godwin, you're not giving up a second-round pick for, but Godwin is also coming off an ACL. You don't know when exactly he'll be good to go. Uh, will he miss out on valuable time throughout the offseason? It's likely that he will. But um, back to the question at hand, would you rather trade a second and a fifth for Amari Cooper and take on that contract, or would you rather sign someone in the Allen Robinson, Michael Gallup-type range and draft another receiver at 33? Uh, Amari Cooper, hands down. I, I don't want to have to wait to develop a guy, right? You know, I, I know that there are some some studs in this draft, especially in the receiver position, and I would love to enhance our depth chart with one of those guys. I do not rule out drafting a wide receiver in any scenario that we're going to talk about today. But we already wasted one year of Trevor Lawrence, right? So So that's already one out the window, can't get it back. We don't have time to give this guy a couple guys to develop. Right, I want this. This needs to be, you know, a now thing as much as it possibly can. With a quarterback coming into his second year, you have to give him that strong number one proven guy immediately. So I think when you're looking at the, the track record, not only for Trent Baalke, who is currently the Jaguars GM, and as far as we know right now, is is really kind of leading the charge uh, for the NFL draft and the scouting. Uh, you know, the past. Jaguars GMs and the past franchise blunders that have happened in the draft, you have the ability and the opportunity to go out and get a proven wide receiver. You know what you're getting, and I think that's the way they should go right now. Obviously, there are other moves that have to be made to really make that ideal, but 
in my mind, I mean, I think my mind's made up. Go get the proven guy. Go get the guy that you know what you're getting. You know, the, the film is there. The tape is there. And not only just against, you know, obviously, uh, you know, elite players, but NFL players. There are years and years of Amari Cooper film against NFL talent. And I think that's what negates or, or you know, sets them apart, uh, you know, from potentially signing a guy like Gallup or signing a guy, you know, lower on your free agency list and then drafting a guy at 33, you know, especially a guy that you don't know who's going to be able to come in and just and, and be that guy right away. Yeah. I get that. I think for me, I would not criticize the Jaguars or any team that needed a receiver really for pulling the trigger on this type of deal to get Amari Cooper. I just don't think it gives you the most potential positive outcomes. I I think signing Allen Robinson and drafting, let's say, George Pickens or Jahan Dotson, someone like that at 33 – I think that gives you more potential. Maybe it has a little bit of a lower floor, but when you're getting two guys for the price of one, I just can't really see Cooper over those two guys. But again, I would not bury the Jaguars or any team for for making that type of move uh, because I do think Cooper is that type of guy, number one, legit number one receiver that Trevor Lawrence could absolutely use. Now, PFF has another idea for the Jaguars. They have their top 50 free agents and they have their projections for where each of these free agents will sign. Cowboys tight end Dalton Schultz is among them. He's number 21 on their list, I believe, in terms of unrestricted free agents. They have Dalton Schultz signing with the Jaguars. Four years, $52 million. That's $13 million per year, obviously. Um, what do we think about a potential Dalton Schultz signing in Jacksonville? I mean, you need an elite tight end. You really do. And Dalton Schultz has proven, especially in this past year, that he can be an elite pass-catching tight end in the NFL. We've had some obvious major blunders in the past when it's come to signing tight ends in free agency, um, most notably the Julius Thomas signing after what he did in Denver um, You know, did not really pan out here. He cashed a check and, and has been gone ever since. But this thing's a little bit different, right? I think we've got a franchise quarterback. We've got a great head coach um, who's going to really be able to get the best out of a guy like Dalton Schultz. We've seen what he did with a guy like Zach Ertz in Philadelphia. And Zach Ertz is still a guy who's out there. There's connections, obviously, to the Jaguars. But Dalton Schultz is younger. He's younger, and he and he's a, a vertical threat from the tight end position. And I think that if you can get a guy like that in this room uh, to give Trevor another receiving option, it's a no-brainer. It's a home run when you're talking about tight ends. Uh, and He would quickly have a, an opportunity to become one of the best tight ends in Jaguars history right off the bat. All he has to do is come out and have a halfway decent year, right? And he'd probably get vaulted up to number two. <laughs> Let's be honest. So any upgrade in the tight end room, in my opinion, any serious upgrade, I'm not talking about you know signing a guy like Chris Manhurts again or going out and just getting another guy to add to the room, a Jacob Hollis or anything like that. A serious upgrade signing at the tight end position would be huge. Yeah, I agree. In a vacuum, I absolutely love Dalton Schultz to Jacksonville. Um, $13 million per year I think is reasonable, especially when you're going to look at the salary cap rising. And I'll go ahead and get this out of the way. Something I have to talk about every year because people are like, where are you getting these numbers from? So NFL teams, when they sign free agents or sign their own players to extensions, they can use signing bonuses and other contract uh, maneuvering uh, 
to limit the year one cap hit. In doing so, you're able to sign more guys in one offseason than what your salary cap on paper would suggest that you could sign. An example of this is last year the Jaguars signed Shaquille Griffin to a deal that was three years, $40 million. So he's making $15 million a year, right? His 2021 cap hit was only about $6 million. That allows the team to go out and sign a bunch of guys um, and kind of using the signing bonus, push back and prorate the rest of that um, year one cap hit over the rest of the deal. And they're also including these year two and year three outs in these longer contracts that basically don't hold the team uh, over the barrel if the player ends up not working out or they want to move in a different direction. So I had somebody in my mentions earlier, he was like trying to call me out, <laughs> basically saying, how is how is a X player signing with the Jaguars at $13 million per year but only having a $6 million cap hit? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it does make sense. That's how contracts work. That's how you uh, structure these things, and that's how you can – best set your team up when you are signing free agents yeah and of course we hear this you know voidable year term that gets thrown around all the time now and and obviously we are aware that the salary cap inflates every year right so teams can backload these contracts as well um, you know especially when it comes to option years right you see that a lot with guys uh, who come up towards the end of their contract right their their yearly cap hits just grow exponentially because the team is building all of that excess cash into the back end of the contract so they could void that year or you know split uh, with an option so there are so many ways to go about doing this exactly what you're saying making it a manageable cap hit and allowing you to sign uh, really a, a handful of free agents at you know what looks like a much inflated cost so Teams are getting smarter. Um, teams are starting to, you know, figure out really kind of how they can maneuver this. And, and you know, I think the Rams were a huge part of that to begin with. Um, the Saints have gotten their, themselves into a little bit of trouble with it as well. So, you know, it's definitely just another way to navigate the waters. I mean, let's be honest. The Jaguars have been an inept franchise for the last 10 years. One thing they have done well is massage that cap. And a big reason they can do that is because Shad Khan is willing to ink these big signing bonuses, which just come out of his his wallet, um, his bank account. Not every owner is willing to do that year in and year out. And I'm not sitting here and defending everything Shad Khan has done. But one thing he has done well and been willing to do is do these signing bonuses to where these contracts are much more manageable. Yeah, he's just been signing them all blind without really knowing who he's been signing or, or what kind of quality player he's been getting. But he has That's not his deal, no, right? No, but he has been signing the checks. I mean, it would be if he was, you know, more in touch with football, but that's not the point. I here. don't think owners should be really part of that process, but well, I mean, it depends what your background is. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say that sure. nobody should be sure. involved by any means, but it was just a little shot conscious. A little side slight, but but <laughs> yeah, he should not be. But like you mentioned, you know, the, the bottom line is he is not scared to sign checks. Maybe sign him to the wrong people, but he's not scared to sign him. So that's always a plus. And that's why you've seen the Jaguars so often, even when they do spend a lot, they can get out of it very quickly. Um, 
either via trading people, releasing them via the the outs that are in the contract, the team outs. So that's one thing the Jaguars can do. And even though the free agent class from 2021 isn't looking great as a whole, they wrote those contracts well. So they're going to be able to get out when they need to get out, especially with a guy like Rayshon Jenkins, who if he doesn't vastly improve in 2022, they have a team out to where they can just kind of get rid of that contract and it's not going to affect the cap too much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you'd hope that doesn't end up being the case, right? You want some of these guys to stick around, but business wise, I mean, they're, they're definitely smart. They're always able to get out from underneath, like you said, big contracts and, and you know, they haven't been able to really get themselves in a cap hole yet. So let's continue that as we move forward, please. Hell yeah. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into my mock off season. And this is not, what I believe the Jaguars will do. This is how I would play it if I was the general manager, the EVP, whatever you want to call it. If I was the decision maker uh, putting together this roster, this is what I would do. Oh, you know what? Actually, Jeremy, I skipped our franchise tag segment. Quick pause. Back it on we'll come up. back to the. Yes, we'll we'll come back to this mock off season. Gave you a little teaser there. Franchise tag. I know we talked about these guys last week, but since the franchise tag window has officially opened, I figured, you know, it it was worth having a little discussion here about some of the Jaguars unrestricted free agents, who really qualifies for the franchise tags and which different tags could be used. So I think there's only three free agents for the Jaguars where money wise you could even make a reasonable argument that any of the tags make sense. And I think that's DJ Chark, Andrew Norwell, Cam Robinson. So you've got the non-exclusive franchise tag, which is the franchise tag that most teams end up using if they do use one. Um, That basically allows players to negotiate with other teams. But the original team has the right to match any contract. And if they choose not to, the new team has to give up two first-round picks to sign that player. Makes it very difficult for new teams to try to sign these guys. You pretty much never see um, teams go after guys that are on the non-exclusive franchise tag. Then you've got the exclusive franchise tag, which means the the player cannot negotiate with any other teams. They can only negotiate with the original team, and they'll be paid um, the average of the top five players that at their position for that season. The non-exclusive is a little bit cheaper. That's another reason it's used so often because in that scenario, you're only paying that player the top five average of the top five over the last five years, not of the current year. So the money's a little better. And then the transition tag um, is where you would be signing this player to a tender that is the average value of the top 10 players at their position. So you're looking at top 10 instead of top five. You still have right of first refusal if you don't want to sign that player to a deal that some other team has offered them, but you do not get any compensation if you don't match the offer. So that's just the minutia of the different tags, the non-exclusive, the exclusive, and the transition tag. Now, the three guys, DJ Chark, Andrew Norwell, and Cam Robinson, why I think you could mention them in this conversation is because of their skill level, talent level, and the type of money they'd be looking at on the open market. I think you can go ahead and just 
get Andrew Norwell out of the conversation. He's only in this conversation because of his previous contract, which was massive. Uh, it was the biggest contract in the NFL for an offensive guard when it was signed. But Norwell is not proven to be that type of player during his time in Jacksonville. He's been a very good pass-protecting offensive lineman. But moving past his uh, past his prime now, he's over the 30 mark, coming off one of his worst seasons. I just don't think there's any way that it makes sense for him. Yeah, if we're, if we're speaking – just about him in, in a vacuum here, it absolutely does not make any sense. I would not even remotely consider using the franchise tag on him. Um, and as we go through these, I mean, there's only really, I think, one situation in my mind where you use the franchise tag at all this year, but definitely not there. Yeah. So there is a, a, a one of these other two players, DJ Chark, Cam Robinson. You have one of them in mind as a possibility. Which one is it? Yeah, so I think your your options are really simple here, at least in my opinion. You can do this one of two ways. Um, I don't think you touch Cam Robinson again this year. Um, you make him an offer. You make him a legitimate offer that you think is is fair, uh, maybe for a year or two, um, if he wants to kind of run it back and, and you know see where he fits with the new uh, offense and the new team, given all the changes that are coming. That I'd be okay with, but I wouldn't go to a tag with them, right? It'd be a second year in the tag. Um, we know that the prices do increase the second year of the tag, and are we really looking to pay Cam Robinson that much money uh, for one year? I don't think so. It obviously uh, straps you a little bit on what you can do this year. There's no real way to maneuver that contract or work that contract to make it more cap-friendly to you. So we really try to maximize what you can do this year. I think there are two options that you can look at. The first one being using that franchise tag on DJ Chart. Um, like you said, it's the average of the top five salaries over the last, I think, five years um, for a player. So it will come at a little bit of a cost. Uh, but you've got to see first what his, you know, what, what you think his market value is going to be realistically. Um, you know, if it's anything close to that, or, or if you think that teams are, I don't know what the exact number is, I would assume, by the way, that it's not going to be close to that average. Um, so this is definitely my second opinion option. But let's say it was. Um, and you know, and and maybe a team would be willing to overpay for a young guy like DJ Chark. If you do not choose, um, you know, to match, or you choose to let him walk, um, that team is awarded two first-round picks. And they're not. I mean, no team is going to sign DJ Chark for two first-round. No, they won't. No, they won't at all. However, so then you would be stuck with that, right? Correct. Seventeen correct, million. You would, but again, if if you, if you think that it's stomachable. Right, that was right. If if you think that you can handle that, then it gives you a chance to at least leverage that possibility. Right, it at least gives you a chance to leverage it. You give DJ Tark another one year deal, let him go out there and prove it, and you move on. Uh, I think if you take the average salaries of wide receivers, it's going to be nowhere near the average salary of a left tackle. Um, you know, top five or last five years. I mean, really, the only guys that well, are the leaking, thing about the thing about that is they do it based off offensive line, so it's. Uh, it's not as lucrative as you might think sometimes here. Well, but offensive line, think about right. Think about who the top, no, w- think about who the top. Yeah, it's the tackle. Yeah, I think about who the top cash getters are. Right. So you're right. Yeah. So for wide receivers, you've got a couple guys at the very top who are making that kind of money. But after that, it kind of dilutes a little bit because you know not everyone, even the top guys after the first you know five to ten teams, aren't really making mega money. You look at the offensive tackles. I mean, really, those guys are making the big bucks across the offensive line. So it's going to inflate that a little bit. So yeah. it's actually going to surprise okay, me. Okay, go ahead. I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. $17 million is what we're looking at for OL. That's not horrible. Wide receiver is 19 Oh. 
for the franchise. The transition tag for wide receiver, because again, that's based off of the top 10 contracts, is 16.7. And this is per overthecap.com, which is a great resource for salary cap information. Um, so receiver is going to cost more than offensive line yeah. in terms of if we're looking at the franchise tags. Hmm. Well, that definitely that that, that definitely obviously <laughs> adds to why this is my number two option. Um, I was not aware of that. That would definitely be something I should look into next time. But that that was my thought process, right? If you have the ability to maybe leverage that situation, um, which is unlikely, and I said that to begin with, it's very unlikely you could. Uh, but the more realistic option, I think for me, is, is the transitional tag that you were speaking of. That's what I think. If you're going to use a tag at all, that's what you use on DJ Tark, right? It's a little bit of lower salary that you just mentioned. The only thing is, is the tagging team is awarded no compensation if they choose not to match the deal. So, um, you know, you have to at least you, you, you get right a first refusal uh, and you're able to deny and, and match the top offer uh, for that, that player. Uh, you know, so it really just depends on, on what you think he's going to demand in market, but I wouldn't touch uh, Robinson. I wouldn't touch Norwell. Um, and I really wouldn't even touch uh Chark here with that non-exclusive tag. I think you're really only legitimate and realistic option is that transitional tag. Yeah. I think the transition tag for Chark makes sense. I wouldn't mind just signing him outright, as we'll see in my mock offseason. But for him, it makes sense because, you know, I think if you had to pay him $16.7 million for one season, you can stomach that. You have the cap space where you can stomach that. Um, But that's probably not going to happen. Some team is going to offer him a contract out there, right? Like he's not going to just not get signed. So, giving yourself the option to match it if you want to, I think makes a lot of sense. Here's a question. You basically let the other team set the market to where you don't have to. That's what I was I have a question because this is a little gray here and I don't exactly know how this works. If you do transition tag a player, right, that price is set at what? You said $17 million or something like that? 16 7 If you set the tag, the transitional tag on Chark, it's set at sixteen seven. If a team comes in and offers him a deal and it's a lower number than that transitional tag do you get to match that deal at that number yes okay yes so basically the transition tag one year tender of 16.7 would only come into play if another team did not offer him a contract that would make sense if it was multiple a multiple year offer right because you'd probably look at the total money rather than the one year what if a team came and offered one year for uh 12 million would it would it still match if, yeah. if we pick that up we pick up that one year 12 hmm. yeah so I, th- I think really in my at least in my opinion that's a no-brainer like kind of yeah, no, no, so knowing the, the little more extent of, of the usage of that transitional tag rather than just the value and and how you get compensated for it like you just mentioned you could allow someone else to set that market, but what if you know? But 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 if no one comes calling, then you're stuck with that that sixteen million. Like you said, which you could stomach, but I mean that that's crazy strategic. I thought I was thinking strategically with potentially placing a tag on them and, and maybe hoping that somebody comes and we can get two first round picks out of it. But you you can set the market without even having to make a legitimate offer. That's a great idea. Yeah, because basically, if if teams aren't super interested in him. They're going to lowball an offer, and you can be like, look, DJ, this is what we got. I'm sorry, bud. But if teams kind of come and, and pound the door down for him, you can just let him go and not worry about it too much. You can also rescind the franchise tag or transition tag 
until mid-July. So let's say no other team did offer him a contract. You can rescind it still after free agency. And then try to get him at a cheaper can't number. Come to a deal. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So it works. It, it really screws the players, these franchise tags and, and transition tags. Uh, it's totally a benefit for these teams and these owners. Um, of course, the players are making a pretty penny, but when you look at their lack of security in those situations, it, it's really, it's really something that's unfair to the players. But it is what it is at this point in the NFL, and it's it's something that because the tool is there for teams to use, they should use it. And so, that's been a big talking point in the last couple of CBAs too, right? They they've talked about that franchise tag numerous times. The players have at least. Yeah, and it's just one of those things where they haven't had the leverage to get rid of it yet. Maybe one day down the road, uh, but but not today. So teams are going to use it. Um, I think the f- transition tag makes a ton of sense for DJ Chark. I also wouldn't mind just signing him uh, to a deal that you feel comfortable with, which we'll talk about here. Uh, we can go ahead and get into it. This mock off season that I put together that runs through free agency. Oh, and by the way, the franchise tag window closes March 8th. So you have from earlier this week, I believe it was Tuesday, to March 8th to place the franchise or transition tag on a player and you can rescind it until mid July. So yeah, into this mock off season, like I said, free agency and the draft, it's basically just an idea of what you could be looking at in terms of the types of free agents you could sign and how free agency can inform the draft. And for the Jaguars specifically this year, how the draft can inform free agency. What I mean by that is because the Jaguars have the first overall pick, if I were running the show, I'd figure out who my top draft prospect is prior to free agency, and I would plan my offseason spending around who I was going to plan on taking at one. So like if I'm planning on taking Evan Neal, I'm not going to go spend big on an offensive tackle in all likelihood. If I'm planning on taking Aiden Hutchinson, I don't need to go spend big on – an edge player. Now, normally you say, and I agree with this 100%, the draft is for value and talent. Free agency is fulfilling needs. I agree with that, but when you have control of the top of the draft, you can kind of attack it the way I'm talking about. Absolutely, and and to kind of piggyback off that, I'm not only trying to see who I would pick at number one, I'm also trying to see who's interested in number one. I know we've talked about it previously and, and it's a big basis on you know some things that we're going to talk about later right but if i know that i can move back to a certain spot and get a certain you know groupings of picks i'm going to take that in consideration as well before i hit free agency in the same way that i'm going to at least target and look at who i could draft um, and, and like you said that definitely changes your total outlook that changes everything um and and you know it it just if, if the jaguars have a predetermined plan going into this, which I think that that that's obviously what they've lacked over the, over the last few years is doing, you know, the homework, the, 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 all the planning ahead of time, having all of these situations mapped out before you get into the meat of the off season, then you'd be in a much better spot. Go ahead and go through all of the options, everything and see what is the best thing available to you. And like you said, you want to find the best player in the draft, but if you know that that guy 
you know, may not necessarily be one of the top guys off the board and you're comfortable with, with potentially moving back for him, you got to put that in consideration when you're making these plans. Well, and not only that, just like, yeah, you could say this is the number one player on the board, but if you're giving us two first round picks plus something else, then, I mean, you can be looking at a really advantageous situation where you can say, is my number one pick and my number 33 overall pick, is that more, or is my number one pick more valuable than having, let's say, the fourth, ten, fourth pick and the tenth pick? That's a decision the team would have to make. So you have to stay water uh, when you're evaluating who that number one pick is, because if a team does offer you a, a trade that you can't refuse where you can move down, um, you should absolutely be able to adjust your strategy to do that. But I think you go into free agency knowing who you're targeting at one, and that gives you an advantage. And I, I honestly don't think any team is going to come up for that first pick this year. We could be wrong on that. Absolutely, it could change. But usually when you have teams coming up, it's for a quarterback, and nobody's doing that to the number one pick this year, especially knowing that the Jaguars are not going to take a quarterback. Yeah, I, I I do hate to agree with that sentiment. You know, hopefully you would think that, and it happens every year, right, that, that there's some somebody – you know, kind of just shoots up the draft boards at the last minute, and hopefully somebody's crazy enough to, to you know, bet the house on somebody, on anybody. Kyle Hamilton, Aiden Hutchinson, um, you know, really anybody. Just, just enough to where they want to move those picks, which are right. With there being no quarterbacks, which I think, you know, like you mentioned, are truthfully the franchise-changing position that you find in the draft. It's going to be really hard to find a suitor for number one. Yeah. But um, they're still in great position, like I said, knowing they have the number one pick, knowing that they can control the draft. They can, they, they're the only team out there who knows that they can land anyone they want to land at the top of the draft. No other team can say that. So that gives them a big advantage going into free agency. And if I'm the Jaguars, if I'm running the show, I'm taking Evan Neal at one, which means... I'm probably not going to sign Teron Armstead, even though I would love to just stack that offensive line uh, beyond belief, because I think with Evan Neal in the fold, you probably could be smarter about spending the 20 to 25 million that it would cost per year to sign a Teron Armstead. I, I would rather not sign Cam Robinson in that situation either, again, because of the money and what you could use it on elsewhere. So that would be my thought. Evan Neal at one, and we're not signing an offensive tackle in free agency. Yeah, as it stands right now, I think your only option is, is Evan Neal. And that's just me personally, right? Let, let's pound it into the pavement again. The number one goal of this offseason is to build the offense up around Trevor. We could have no defense next year. I really don't care. As long as this offense is in top shape, Trevor is making the strides that we want to see, and this offense has completely changed itself right from top to bottom. I mean, just absolutely abysmal. So Evan Neal right now at number one with, with everything the way it is right now is a no-brainer. Again, the only thing that I would even consider going into free agency, knowing that we would still want to pick up more wide receivers in the draft is if you could find a team crazy enough to move up. And I know this is not, you know, I don't want to keep repeating that, but would you like to have a guy like, uh, Ekwanu or a guy 
Um, who else up there at the top? Alex Cross even maybe Charles, Charles Cross. Cross. Sorry, not Alex. Charles Cross. Um, you know, and then and then hopefully pair him up with a, a top fifteen receiver, maybe a top twenty receiver, and then get another one at thirty three. I mean, when you just there's so many possibilities. It's honestly just mind blowing when you get into it. But more of the story is, yeah, right now it's it's Evan Neal. You have to bolster the offensive line. You have to give Trevor every opportunity to be successful this year. That's the only. That is the only, 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 only goal for this offseason. Yeah, I mean, you want to get the defense going, absolutely, but priority number one, no question, getting Trevor Lawrence to have a better, more stable offense around. And as broken as that and defense was, that defense could could keep you in a couple more games, right? With a prolific top 10 offense, mm-hmm. that defense could help sure. you win a couple games. Yeah, especially if you just add a couple – pieces um to that defense which you certainly will be able to do this offseason i agree with you that they could they could certainly be even just as they were last year if the offense was a little better that defense would have performed a, a little bit better in my opinion too but yeah i think if you look at adding a couple guys which we will here in free agency and the draft with with what i've got predicted here and what i would do um, this defense could be a defense, not elite probably, but a defense that could take a step forward, certainly. So you've got Evan Neal, Walker Little, and Trevor Lawrence all on cap-controlled contracts, cost-controlled contracts, rookie contracts for the next half decade. And I think for that, uh, for you to have your left tackle, right tackle, and quarterback under those types of cost-controlled contracts for that long, I think that's a huge win for a franchise. What does a number one overalls pick fifth-year option come in at? Well, it'll change down the road. And does it uh, inflate with the salary cap each year, or does it? Is it? Yeah, based it'll on it'll change. Year? Okay. It'll change, but um, still, you've got at least four years of this um, of this cheap contract. Do you know if that if if the if the fifth year option salary, I guess you could say, is also slotted, like is it? Does it kind of slot it the is. same way? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think it's also it's it's similar to the franchise tag in terms of how it's done. Mm-hmm. I think it might be the top ten players. Okay. So that fifth year option for a quarterback, it's going to be expensive. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. But it's not going to be as expensive as his next contract is going to be. Right. So it's still worth it to use it. Yeah. If that makes sense. <laughs> it does. Cause we're hoping, we're hoping right. That, that Trevor Lawrence gets that 10 year, 500 million dollar contract. That's the next thing we want to see. Yeah. So now and that's then on the when horizon. He signs that type of deal, it's probably going to be more like 10 years, 600, 700, oh. something like that. Yeah. If we get there, I mean, Obviously, this past year, the, the salary cap jumped, what, $25 million, which without, you know, the year after COVID and everything, obviously, there's going to be a huge jump. But as things go up, can you imagine the next the next round, this round, this this class, yeah. Burrow, Herbert, Lawrence, their second contracts are going to be jaw droppers. We're yeah, touching baseball, wild. man. Mm-hmm. No question about it. And, and this all got delayed a little bit because of what happened with the salary cap last year, if it hadn't um, dropped and then now we're starting to build it back up, it would have already been inching closer and closer to that. But um, it's still going to be wild when those guys sign their contracts, no doubt about it. So you've got those 
cornerstones of your offense under some cost-controlled contracts for at least the next three years, and that's got to feel really good. Now we're going into free agency. We need wide receivers. We need offensive guards. Andrew Norwell and A.J. Can are both unrestricted free agents. You could use a tight end, someone to pair with Dan Arnold to give you a nice one-two punch. You could really use somebody to pair with Josh Allen on the edge, get DeWan Smoot more in a role where he can be the third edge rusher. And I think you could still use some help in the secondary. Um, you like Tyson Campbell, certainly. You like Andre Sisco. Shaquille Griffin is a fine starter. But you look at the other safety spot, you look at the nickel spot, I think you could use help there. Yeah, I definitely have to agree. I mean, really, what we did at safety last year was a Band-Aid, right? You look at a guy like Cisco, who should have been playing all year, has performed insanely well. I think along with, with safety and cornerback and wide receiver, that, that's 1A and 1B in my opinion. You have to focus there. Um, you know, throughout because you you need depth, right? At those positions, you have five cornerbacks, five wide receivers, right? You can go and, and get a top tier O line guy or two and and plug them in there. And you know, you obviously want to have depth. Tyler Shatley has shown us the importance of O line depth and how versatile that can be. But you know, you don't have five guys at every single position like that. The offensive line as a whole, obviously, you have five guys, right? But not the same amount of depth that you need in cornerback and wide receiver. And once you get off the top of the Jaguars depth chart in those two positions, even more so wide receiver, there is a steep, a steep drop-off in skill and talent. I mean, right now, you're looking at Marvin Jones. He's top wide receiver. Right. And and Visco would it's be your two if you don't, if you don't go get anybody right you'd think Visco would yeah. be the number two you'd go back to Jamal Agnew in the slot and and who do you have I would make Jamal Agnew my number two target at receiver even though Visco would you know technically be the other outside guy right. and then you Dan Arnold would be getting more targets as well um, but yeah that's what you're looking at and that's not good enough so that's why I have the Jaguars in my mock here. Signing Allen Robinson to a three-year deal. He's 28, soon to be 29. I still think he is a borderline top 10 receiver in the NFL. He is an X. He is not an elite receiver in terms of his play speed, but he's a very good route runner. He is able to separate with that route running and with his physicality. And there's just about nobody in the NFL that's better at the catch point than Allen Robinson. And if there's something that Trevor Lawrence has shown he's willing to do, it's let his receivers go up and get the ball. Yeah, this is only one of two spots on your breakdown that I disagree. Um, we talked about this a little bit beforehand. You know, you asked me my thoughts mm-hmm. about it earlier pre-pod. And I'm going to be honest, and it's going to be a completely uh, unpopular opinion here, but I don't think Allen Robinson should come back to Jacksonville, and I don't think Jacksonville should put resources into Allen Robinson. I think that a lot of people are, are kind of clouded in their judgment based on the fact that Allen Robinson was a former Jaguar, and things didn't necessarily go the best for him here in Jacksonville, and the way things left off, unfortunately, was kind of shitty. Um, you know, coming off an ACL injury, the Jaguars showed no faith uh, in a guy who put up career numbers in his second year, but... When you look back at it, and to be completely honest, that's all that that's what it was. It was a career year in his second year in the NFL. And since then, he has not been the same wide receiver. 
He's been injury prone. Uh, he doesn't have elite speed. I think we saw the best Allen Robinson potential wise in 2015. Now, since then, and I'm going to kind of go into this a little bit, and then I'll let you respond because I've got some information here. I wanted to back this up. I didn't want to just come in with baseless thoughts and facts, especially you know on a point on a, on a subject that's very hot like this one. Allen Robinson, this is his ranks in the NFL catches and yards per season. Okay, in 2014, his rookie year, he was 85th in catches and 84th in yards. We'll, we'll call that a wash. Rookie year. You know, it is what it is. His second year, he exploded. 20th in catches, 6th in yards, played all 16 games in the NFL. Had a spectacular season. 14 touchdowns. 14 touchdowns, yep. Set set franchise received. I think he had 1,400 yards as well. 1,400 flat. Mm -hmm. Set uh, records for both, I think, receiving touchdowns and receiving yards for the Jaguars. He has not matched that 1,400-yard mark since he left Jacksonville. I think the closest he got was 12-something, 1,200-something. I don't have 1,250 in 2020. Okay. That was only last – That was Two years you know, ago. 2021 mm-hmm. was a down year. Yeah, it was. But he's had some some sprinkled years in between that, that weren't the best as well. 2016 with the Jaguars, 32nd in catches, 37th in total yards, 16 games played. We all knew what happened in 2017. Blue is ACL in the first game of the season. That's a wash. 2018, 63rd in catches, 38th in yards. 2019, 7th in catches, 14th in yards. Played 16 games. Had a decent year, right? 2020, back-to-back okay years. 6th in catches, 9th in yards. Played all 16 games. He has. I don't think it's fair to call those okay years. He had... When, when here and I'll, hold on me, I'll, I will explain on this in just a second, and I'll tell you why. Twenty twenty was was an, a good year. Twenty twenty one, obviously, we saw the drop off. What happened this year? He only played twelve games again. Right, had injury problems this year. Could not get involved in the offense for whatever reason. They did not get him involved. I cannot speak on that. But what I can speak to is the fact that in Allen Robinson's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, we'll call it seven year career. If you want to take out twenty seventeen because of the blown knee, he has only ranked top ten. And catches and yards once in his NFL career. Once. And when you talk about bringing in a guy here for Trevor Lawrence, right? We all, we know what we're looking for. We need an elite guy. I talked about this earlier with you off air. I don't want just a, a top 20 guy. I need a top 10 receiver. That's what we're looking for. That's what we want to pair with Trevor Lawrence. I know that's tough to get. I know it's hard to come by, but you've got to make a move. You've got to go out there and make the conscious effort to get a guy like that. And I just don't think that's who Allen Robinson is. Now, don't get me wrong. He's a good route runner. He's great at, at, at the point of attack when it comes to going up and getting the ball. I will give him all of that. I will. But there is no speed, right? He's lost a step in age and due to injuries. There's no speed there. He's not going to stretch the field. He's not going to give you anything, uh, you know. In my in, in my opinion, in the big play category, he can be a very um, you you can trust him right to get the ball in his hands and make that catch. But I don't think he brings what you're looking for in regards to Trevor Lawrence's development. He's going to be 29 at the start of the season. Um, his, his I think his best years are behind him, and you're going to have to pay him good money. He's going to demand good money. He's not going to demand you know top of the line money like a Devontae Adams. But he's going to demand some decent money. You could also look at a guy like Chris Godwin, who I know, again, is coming off a knee injury. So they both had injuries, but he's 25. And in five seasons, he's had 342 total catches and 4,643 yards. In eight seasons for Chris Godwin, he's had four. I'm sorry, not Chris Godwin. For Allen Robinson, he's had 495 catches, 6,409 yards. Take out one season away because injury, make it seven seasons. The difference in that is only 153 catches and 1,766 yards. One elite 
top year for Chris Godwin would put him over the threshold of Allen Robinson's career numbers in three less seasons. Who's throwing the football? Who's throwing who the football? Either of these guys, Trevor Lawrence, right? You would think, but who has been throwing them the football? That's a fair assumption. I can give you that point, but I mean, I'm not debating the merits of Chris Godwin and Allen Robinson. I think Chris Godwin in a vacuum is a better offensive player. I hate that's a fallback question though. Who's throwing the ball? We get that, but he is elite receiver going to cost more than Allen Robinson as well. He will. He will. He will. But 25 years old, right? You're getting you're getting a, a much longer service from Chris Godwin. You yeah, hope. I mean, you hope. Look, I would rather the Jaguars just in a vacuum. If we're just talking about signing one receiver, I'd rather them sign Chris Godwin than Allen Robinson. I just don't necessarily think landing Chris Godwin is going to be realistic, but I do. I would like them to make a run at it. Absolutely. And I think Mike Williams is in the same boat. Mike Williams' skill set is more like that of Allen Robinson's, but he's younger, a little younger. Um, I still think Allen Robinson's a borderline top 10 receiver based on his skill set. And I think giving that to Trevor Lawrence would be huge. But he's only been a top 10 receiver uh, yeah. once. Literally once in his career. So can you put him now? Uh, if you say fifteen, I'm not 20, talking about statistically. I'm talking about what he does on the field. I don't think it's fair to just sit here and base these guys off statistics when he's been catching passes from Blake Bortles, Nick Foles, uh, Mitch Trubisky, uh, Andy Dalton. It's just not apples to apples. The top receivers in football are catching passes from good quarterbacks in terms of the top statistical producers. That's just the way it is. That's the way it always will be. I think if you give Allen Robinson a good quarterback, you're going to see much better numbers. You'll definitely see better numbers. You absolutely will see better numbers. But can you really stomach you know, having that guy, bring that guy in to be your number one? It's basically what you're talking about. Now, I have no problem if they plan to sign him as a two. Right? If he's your number two option, I think he's a great number two option. I absolutely do. But if you're taking Allen Robinson, pairing him up with Trevor Lawrence, and, and making that guy your number one, I don't think it's going to do for you what you want it to do. I think that's fair. I disagree. I think it's reasonable. I think both arguments are reasonable. I understand your side. He doesn't have that deep speed. He still gets open down the field thanks to his route running and physicality. And even when he's not open, he's going to go up and get you the football. Uh, but this is this is a point we can debate. We can continue to debate. And um, look, there's other options. I, there's no doubt about that. Mike Williams, I think, will cost more money. Chris Godwin will cost more money. Michael Gallup is coming off the knee. Um, he'll probably be a little cheaper than Allen Robinson if you were more interested in that, but I think he's a number two as well. Uh, I think Allen Robinson is a legitimate number one. I don't think he's an elite number one, but I do think he is a legitimate number one that would help Trevor Lawrence out a lot. And if you're not able to land a Chris Godwin, which I don't think you'll be able to, um, and you're not able to land Mike Williams, which remains to be seen what his market will be like it'll be it'll be a hot market for sure but maybe he would be a little cheaper than godwin i'm not sure uh, i think robinson fits in there and he has a connection with the current coaching staff a lot of the coaches on the defensive staff have been working with robinson 
Um, obviously, they're not his position coaches, but they were on the same squad with Robinson the last couple of years. Um, I think working with Trevor Lawrence would be huge for Allen Robinson's career. And I just think it would be a good fit overall when you look at the money, the skill set, the age, and the connections. I have so, one last question for you on this topic, and then I'll yeah. let it I'll let it settle. Um, what in your mind makes Allen Robinson a more realistic target than Chris Godwin? What separates them? Right? Because you, you you did mention that they have connections, and so does Chris Godwin, right? Absolutely, Tampa Godwin does. Coordinator, or t- uh, Tampa Bay's uh, uh, linebackers coach is now our defensive coordinator. Um, so yes. there's definitely connections and on both sides on staff, right? And yeah. so there's definitely connections. But so what? What in your mind sets it apart? From, you know, you said that Chris Godwin's not realistic, or Mike Williams is the eh. market. But the market, the market. I'm not saying Mike Williams is meh. I like. I think no, no, Mike not, Williams not meh in talent, meh in the, in the chances that he that he's realistically a possibility for Jacksonville to land. I think that they will both have hotter markets than Allen Robinson. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. That's. Basically, oh, just, I, I think they'll curious. both have hotter markets. Yeah, because yeah, the the money. When you put those three guys in a vacuum, I want Williams or Godwin over Robinson. Rank them one to three. I'm with in a you on that. Hmm? Rank them one to three in a vacuum. It depends on team needs, but if you're just talking about a, a blank slate of an offense, Chris Godwin, Mike Williams, Allen Robinson. Okay, and that's how you would rank it too, and not not blank slate Jaguars specifically. Yeah. I think when you go out and give that money to Chris Godwin though, because he's not an ex, you know, there's a little bit left. Like you're like, yes, we got our guy. That's going to dominate the slot for us. He's going to be a great receiver. He's going to be a great blocker, but we still have to find an ex. Yeah. Right. I, I would have agreed in years past and this is separate. And then, like I said, so last thing, then I'll let it go. I would have agreed in years past, but I think the way the offense in the NFL, offenses as a whole in general have have really changed their scheme, right? That X, you know, now the, those extra, I don't think that you can discredit, not discredit because that, that's not the right word I'm looking for either, but I don't think that they are valued any less, the slot guys are valued any less than the outside guys anymore, right? You can scheme anybody open. I think from it's anywhere. easier to find a good slot guy than a good X. I think so. I think an elite receiver, an elite receiver, regardless, no matter where you put him on the field. And I think that's kind of what we're starting to see, though, in the NFL. And that's kind of something that I was talking about, right? These receivers aren't specifically slot guys anymore and outside guys. I think five, ten years ago, you had a very specific skill set for your slot guys, right? And your outside guys. I think they were very, very different players. But in today's NFL, I think they're closer than ever. I agree with that. And Godwin can win on the outside. But what you're going to get your best play from him is if he's lining up two thirds of the time in the slot. So, you know, I would be really good with all three of those guys. I think the larger point is here go get one of the top wide receivers, right? Yeah. 100%. You have to. You have to. You don't, you don't have a choice. You got to try. Even if they're not the best possible option in terms of like, are they an actual number one? Maybe not, but you've got to, you've got to play the hand you're dealt here. These are the guys that are available. Maybe you do want to trade. Maybe you want to go get Amari Cooper, but go get a a receiver that can be a number one, even if they're not the top tier number one guy you're looking for. Go get someone that Trevor can rely on. And that's what I think Allen Robinson is. I know you disagree, but the point stands that you need to go get one of those receivers that you think Trevor Lawrence can rely on as a legitimate target, as a guy that he can feed the ball 
over and over again because they don't have that right now. Now, looking at the offensive line, because we're planning on bringing back or because we're planning on uh, drafting Evan Neal, excuse me, and we have Walker Little, we have Brandon Litter, Linder, excuse me, we still need to fix that guard position. Brandon Scherf, he's one of the most talented guards in football. He's set to hit free agency. Uh, I think he's got excellent movement skills. He fits well in that zone-heavy rushing attack. And he played under Jaguars OL coach Phil Rauscher in Washington for a couple years. I think he's the perfect fit to come in and kind of uh, take over at the right guard spot, which is where he's been playing, and solidify a position that the Jaguars have struggled at for years. Yeah, another no-brainer. Right, give the guy his money. I mean, he is an All Pro. He is one of the best offensive guards in football. Um, you know, and I think he demands um, a, a reasonable amount, a reasonable cap number for his skill set. Um, like I said, you know, he he does move very well. He'll fit in that new, uh, you know, agile right stretch kind of scheme, outside zone run, that kind of stuff. You have to go ahead and give him that money. And you have a very young offensive line if you look at it this way. Uh, besides Scherf, I mean, you have Evan Neal, who's going to be a rookie. Uh, ben Barch will be in his third year in the league, and you obviously got to think mm-hmm. that he's going to play a big role. Jawan Taylor is in his fourth year in the league. Um, obviously, Walker Little, who would hopefully supplant him, it will be in his second year in the league. Very young across the board. Another move um, that I still would not rule out for the Jaguars yet, and I still think there's a reasonable, um, you know, reason reasonable reason to, to to think this through is is cutting Brandon Linder. I hate it. I hate I it. love Brandon Linder. He's been one of my favorite Jaguars since he's been here, but he carries a $10 million cap hit, and he's never healthy. As much as I'd love to see him stay, if you can't restructure that contract, cutting $10 million and finding a younger center elsewhere, or even you know, kind of maybe at least inserting Tyler Shatley as you try to find a replacement either through the draft or even maybe in free agency or a trade, right? I think you have to at least consider it. I think no. You don't have to consider it. Brandon Linder and Tyler Shatley, with those two guys, you've got you each of them can play left guard, center, and right guard. You make that a combo on the interior of your offensive lineman and you roll with it until the wheels come off. Brandon Linder is still an elite center when he's healthy. I know he's not healthy all the time, but that's why you have Tyler Shatley. You just keep him um, keep him happy, and I think you're good to go. And and Linder's contract runs out after 2022. So I think you just play it out. This guy is too good to let go. I just don't think you create another need because it's not like we're talking about Cam Robinson here. Cam Robinson is average. Brandon Linder is an elite center in the NFL. So I, I'm not on board with that, but Brandon Scherf we're both on board with here. I think it's a no-brainer in terms of the connection with the offensive line coach, the ability to excel in the Jaguars' new rushing attack. His pass pro is excellent. I just think it's it's a home run. And then I've got another big connection here. Zach Ertz. Looked like he might be hitting that wall and Philly goes out to the desert in Arizona and lights it up for the Cardinals. I think you bring him here, reunite him with uh, Doug Peterson. He's going to be cheaper than a... Dalton Schultz, a David Njoku, some of the other guys because he's older. But he proved at the end of last year that he's absolutely still got it. And I think getting someone who is super familiar 
with the Doug Peterson coaching philosophy and offense and a guy that has a reliable set of hands for Trevor Lawrence to pair with Dan Arnold at tight end, you could do a lot worse there. Yeah, this is the only other place where I semi somewhat disagreed with uh, your choice. Now, I would not be mad if they brought Zach Ertz in. I would be mad, however, if that was the only move they made to bring someone else into that tight end room. I think you should also look at a guy, and I know you already said his name right there, but David Njoku. Look at a guy who's a little bit younger, um, has a a good pass-catching vertical skill set, not really a blocker, hasn't really done a whole lot yet in the NFL, so will he really demand that much more money than Zach Ertz? I'm sure he'll demand a little bit more given the age. Um, and the ability to to stretch the field and, and be, a, I think, a, a great seam tight end. But if you're going to sign Zach Gertz, that's fine. I love the familiarity. I love, obviously, his understanding of the offense. He could be a mentor to Trevor, and it makes that transition much easier, especially when you're tight end, right? And, and this style of offense is going to be your one of your safety valves, right? Tight end and running back. Having a consistent, uh, trusting um, um, worthy tight end that you know you can get the ball into their hands at any time and they're going to be there to make that catch. I mean, that's huge. I just think given the age, um, obviously the uh, expected decline in play, that can't be your only move. I love the idea of having him and, and uh, Dan Arnold there together as the top two tight ends in Jacksonville. But I understand your sentiment with wanting to get someone maybe younger, more athletic. Part of the reason I like <clears throat> signing a guy like Zach Ertz, Brandon Scherf, Allen Robinson, you're getting these guys in the prime of their career. Zach Ertz might be a little bit past it, but he's still you know, a top 10 receiving tight end in this league. Uh, all these guys are going to be off the books in a couple years when you need to start re-signing people. Whereas when you're signing... Only young guys, you're probably planning on keeping them around for a really long time. I like the idea of infusing this roster specifically, which is very young right now, with these kind of older veterans that are established in key positions. Yeah, veteran leadership in the locker room is definitely something that, unfortunately, obviously we need, but it does tend to get kind of forgotten about and thrown to the wayside when you think about free agents and stuff like that. So I will say that is, is that not something that, that always comes to the forefront of my mind, but you need veteran leadership because I don't think we really have any, uh, we don't really have any. And, and that, that team was at its best. Well, this team, that team, but that team in 2017 was at its best when it had a good, strong core of veteran leaders. Obviously we know what happened with Clay's Campbell, but just what he did for this team, for that locker room to, to, really create a winning atmosphere cannot go understated. And I don't think you can win in the NFL without a strong group of, of leaders. And, you know, if you don't have them yet and you're younger guys, you've got to go out and get the veteran leadership that you're talking about. Yeah. And that's that combined with the fact that they're going to be off the books quickly. Uh, they're going to help Trevor for a couple years and then you move on. I really like that. And then DJ Chark, he's a guy. I don't think it has to be DJ excuse me, DJ Chark, but someone who is younger that has upside at wide receiver, like DJ Chark, like Christian Kirk, who is another guy that could play slot and be a vertical threat. Someone in that vein that's not going to be the top of the market receiver, but a guy that is young and has upside, 
because you have the money to do it this year, I think it makes a lot of sense. And it doesn't have to be DJ Chark. I just personally think DJ Chark gives you a little more upside than Christian Kirk. Kirk might have a little higher of a floor with um, just being available. but And they don't play the same position. But someone in that vein that has upside that can grow with this team. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think your best bet is to bring DJ Chark back. But you've got to bring him back as a three. Right, a two if you're lucky, and he has a, a you know a breakout um, like we kind of saw from in, in year two from him. Remember, he's still young, right? 25, 26 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so still very young, still has time to make that stride. But if he is your number three, or maybe a, 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 at a stretch at number two, and I, I think at number two, kind of draw the line. But if he's your number three, I think you are set up very, very well. Yeah, I agree. And then moving over to the defensive side of the ball, we've got a couple moves. Um, Harold Landry. I know we've talked about him stealing him over from the Titans, you know, not having to go against him on Sundays, instead having him wearing black and teal. He's a guy that I think pairing him up with Josh Allen makes a lot of sense. It's a scheme fit. He's had great production. He's only 26. Uh, it just makes too much sense to not try to go target this guy. Yeah, the only thing that does concern me a little bit is that that edge market, right? It is it's a unique one this year, right? You don't really have, I think, a ton of edge guys either a um, that are young and, and could be a cornerstone of the franchise for a while, because uh, you got a lot of older guys that are out there too, at least in that edge. I guess you could say classification, right? You've obviously got Von Miller, Chandler Jones, who are a little bit older. Um, Dante Fowler has already done his time in Jacksonville. Calais Campbell, uh, who else is out Hassan there? Hassan Reddick, I think, is the closest comparison. Yeah, to Harold Landry, and Reddick is a smaller guy than Landry, no doubt about it. Uh, but and those guys are, are 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 like true edge edge linebackers, right? Not necessarily a hand yes. in the ground defensive end, but not necessarily a, a tackling ranging outside linebacker. Another guy that I would think you might want to at least start paying attention to a little bit would be Derek Barnett um, has that connection to Doug Peterson. Yes. Not quite sure where he fits in this defense. Um, he's really, he really is more of a, in my opinion, at least a typical four or three defensive end. Um, but another guy that could probably add some depth that I'm, I'm sure is on Doug's radar. I think he can be versatile, and I think he can be a guy that helps with this transition to the Doug Peterson culture and all that. Uh, I do like him. I just don't. I don't know that he's giving you much more than Dewan Smoot. Yeah. And could you use another Dewan Smoot on this team? Yes. But is it going to put you over the top like maybe a Harold Landry could pairing him up with Josh Allen? I don't think so. Uh, so. That's where I landed on that, but I do I don't have any problem with the idea of bringing in Derek Barnett. Yeah, um, Jordan Whitehead, safety from Tampa, following his defensive coordinator uh, <clears throat> up I ninety five or excuse me not ninety five. He'd be taking uh, seventy five to ten, but yeah, Jordan Whitehead. I think you bring him in. He's a ch- he'll be on a cheaper deal. He's not as big of a name as some of these other guys, and safety is a cheaper position. But he's a strong safety. Knows how to play under a Mike Caldwell. He's shown great strides over the last couple of years. Still a young guy. And I think if you bring him in to compete with Rayshon Jenkins, you're going to get the best out of whoever wins that battle. And if Whitehead proves to be the better fit, you can move on from Jenkins after 2022. 
Yeah, uh, definitely a, a good guy to pair with um, Andre Cisco. Um, I, I think you could probably you leave a little bit more desired, a little bit more to be desired. Excuse me, at that safety position with that signing, but I don't think it's the worst thing that you could do. You also probably have to look out for Rodney McLeod, right? We talk about again the connections, um, big connection with Doug from Philadelphia. He is a little bit older. I think he's thirty-one. Um, so, so, you know, it'd probably be more a depth signing than anything, but do you think the Jaguars make any attempt at all to bring in a guy like Tyron Matthew or a guy like Marcus Williams, or, uh, even a guy like maybe Quandre Diggs kind of on you know, the edge with that one, Terrell Edmonds. I mean, just some of these bigger names of safety. Do you think they try to put somebody back there? Or you think they're going to probably just try to plug and fill? If they could get Matthew or Williams, I'd be all for it. Obviously, with the plethora of big signings I have here, I don't think you'd be able to manage one of them. But if you get rid of the Whitehead signing and go for Derek Barnett instead of Harold Landry, then I think you could be looking at one of those guys. Uh, Of course, you're going to have to decide, because Whitehead is the strong safety type, whereas Williams and Matthew are Mm -hmm. definitely both more in the free safety. Matthew's really more of a slot player. Uh, but you have to figure out th- how it works together there, certainly with Andre Cisco. But yeah, yeah I, I, I think that would be awesome if you could do that. And in, a, in an alternate mock off season, I absolutely love seeing that. Yeah, I mean, you just kind of take a step back and look at, you know, making that addition, right, uh, of, you know, whoever it could be. Um, and then, and then you, like Whitehead or, or whoever, you look at the safety position as a whole. And it's really kind of, it's a microcosm for the Jaguars roster. There are so many holes everywhere you turn. You think you fixed one thing, you look at something else and you're like, man, that's really bad too. I mean, it just really brings it all into focus. How, how many positions can you look at right now and say, obviously you can't make a huge splash signing at every position, but you look at some of the other ones where you're making these small signings and you still say, wow, I mean, that really doesn't even begin to repair the, the terrible situation the Jaguars have across the board. I mean, it's mm-hmm. tough. The edge, obviously, you have a guy like Josh Allen who's out there, but really, you're not getting anything on the other side. Dewan Smoot had a, a hell of a year. I think it was a little bit of a fluke, but a hell of a year. This this thing is is going to take time to rebuild, and it's becoming more evident the more we get into some of these offseason moves and, and kind of deciding where the Jaguars should focus their resources because they really need help everywhere. And like you mentioned, you know, you can't can't make a big signing at every position. Yeah, so I essentially have them signing seven starters. Whereas I think it's possible that they sign two or three starters at a higher clip and then just go for more of the uh, depth pieces. I think that's certainly possible. But this is what I would do um, if, if I could do it all as the Jaguars GM. The final move here I have is Bryce Callahan, who fills a role with the Jaguars. Rudy Ford is going to be that quality early down nickel type defender, and Callahan can be your clear passing situation nickel defender. Uh, He's been one of the best at doing that for a long time. He's 31, but you're only going to sign him for a couple years and move on. Yeah, I I love that. He He fits into that role Perfectly, like you said, and I think we need more guys like that. We talked about this, I think, two pods ago, how good Rudy Ford became. Brought him in as a special teamer last year, how good he became as that nickel guy, but he lacks in areas like pass protection. Oh, not pass protection, pass coverage. Um, so, you know, getting some of these kind of, not I don't want to say gadget guys, but getting these guys that fill specific weaknesses could also give you a really good platoon situation 
for the defense. It's not really something you can get on offense, but you get a good platoon rotation on defense for uh, situation, situational football. You get yourself in a much better position. Biggest thing that I take yeah. away from this is go look at these free agent lists, right? Go down to the fifth best player, probably fifth best player at every single position besides quarterback and probably running back, right? I guarantee you the fifth best player at every position would be an instant starter on the Jaguars team right now. <laughs> You're probably right about right? that. And I don't think you and, and I haven't people, thought about it that way, but that just goes to show you they need help. Absolutely. Everywhere. People are going to listen to this and say, dude, you can say with every team. No, you cannot. No, you absolutely cannot. This team is so bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, a good way to look at it. And so another thing, you talked about Marcus Williams or Teron Matthew. I would love to have them, but again, I'm more focused on offense. Most of our free agent spend here has gone to the offensive side of the ball. Uh, If you want to be more balanced in it, I get that, and I don't blame you, but I think you just got to do everything you can to help Trevor out. And I think we did that in this mock offseason in terms of free agency. Now in the draft, we're going to try to help him out even even more here early on. We know we've got Evan Neal at number one. I have Zion Johnson out of Boston College at number 33 overall. Came in and kind of dominated at the Senior Bowl. He's a guard who really is a first-round talent. I have him as a mid-first-round pick, but guard is an undervalued position. You look at the fact that Kenyon Green's probably going to go off the board before him, all the tackles that are probably going to go off the board, the receivers. Zion Johnson falls to 33, and the Jaguars are able to pair him up on the interior with Brandon Scherf. And then you've got Evan Neal, Zion Johnson, Brandon Linder, Brandon Scherf, and Walker Little, and you feel very good about your five. You've got Tyler Shatley, Ben Barch, and uh, Jawan Taylor as your next three, and I think you feel immensely better about that offensive line than you did this year. Yeah, you you. how could you not, right? You upgraded at three positions uh, across the offensive line, a, a hands-down upgrade, right? It's not even close. It's not even a debate. It's a hands-down upgrade. The only thing I think is, is I don't know if I can go back to back offensive linemen at one and thirty three. I get that. Now, if I totally get that. If, if all of the like right, the, the only world that would probably make sense is if all of your, if the top five six receivers were gone. Right, we're talking um, definitely London, uh, Garrett Wilson, uh, probably Dotson. Right, you would think that he's probably gone before thirty three. It'd be a stretch if not. Um, I have Dotson and Johnson very close to each other in my grades here. So you could kind of do like, well, which position do you care about more? Right. Do you need to fix your left guard more? Or do you need to get that extra receiver? Let's see where I've got them here. I've got my sheets. Zion Johnson, I have an 8.7 on out of 10. He's my 20th ranked player. And I have, where are you, Jahan Dotson? Jahan Dotson is... 21 at 8.6. Yeah. So coin flip there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but I'm with they're, they're very close. I think, I just, I think that the Jaguars have penciled it in their brand and probably most people have, and we, we probably should too, that this is where you go try to make that steal pick, right? 33, find the guy, either that teams are passing on that, that falls to you, which, you know, could be, like I said, Zion Johnson. If, if he is that highly regarded and falls that far back, then I could stomach it and then I could understand, but you'd have to move up. You'd have to move back up into the second round to take another receiver. I think in the second round, you have to make a pick that can potentially change 
the franchise, whether it be a guy like maybe Jameson Williams who falls down because of the knee injury and issues. He's not getting out of the first. Well, yeah, probably not. But I, I, I could stomach that or at least envision that more than some of the other scenarios. Um, you know, a guy like John Mechie might fall. A guy like George Pickens, who I know is on your list coming up, who I have, yes. I have loved. We've talked about him before. You know, a guy like that would would be a great pick there too. And if you, or like you mentioned, you can make a move up into the second round and get a guy like that as well. But that's where you've got to go get that guy that I think everyone else is sleeping on. That guy that you think can turn the corner right there in that second round. Yeah, and my predictive mock last week, I had the Jaguars taking Pickens at thirty three. And I would have no problem with them doing that. I just, you know, when I'm looking at value and maybe being able to get pickings a little bit later in the second round, if you want to get ultra aggressive and trade back up into the second round, which I do, I'm all about getting aggressive on day two of the draft and getting as many players on day two of the draft as you can. And I have the Jaguars trading up to 51 to land George Pickens, who I... I think he probably has his ceiling among these wide receivers in this class is definitely in the top five. It it might be higher. I mean, he is so twitchy, so tall, long, linear. Uh, he's He has that alpha mindset. He goes up and gets the ball. I think he's going to be an X, a, a good X at the next level. Uh, yeah, George Pickens makes me go back and turn around and and just completely discredit everything I've ever said when it comes to guys coming off of injury, guys with previous injuries, guys with you know not not having the numbers, not being able to show it on tape. Um, not 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 I'm sorry, not not being able to not show it on tape. But I've talked about in the past just how firmly I'm rooted in the belief of you take the guy who's shown you everything you know, the entire time has not had the injury history, a guy who's always been a stud. But when I sit there and I watch George Pickens, old videos, videos of things that he's done in practice, just when I see the potential, the athleticism, everything that he has together, I truly think this is a guy who could be, like you mentioned, one of the top five players in this draft. I truthfully do believe that. And I would, I would, gamble and 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 take a chance on a guy like George Pickens nine out of 10 days. If it falls and it happens just right and he's available to you, I think there is nothing wrong with taking George Pickens. And like I said, I know that that goes against everything that I've ever said in regards to prospects and, and you know, seeing what these guys are going to offer you at the next level. Yeah. And out of all these guys, I mean, I think Evan Neal is realistic for the Jaguars. I really do think George Pickens, if he falls to 33, I think you might be seeing another Georgia Bulldog heading to the Jaguars with the with the top pick on day two for a second year in a row. Because Trent Baalke, he loves guys that he perceives as have better talent than where they are falling to in the draft, and George Pickens could be that. Another guy is Kyir Elam, who I have the Jaguars trading up for here to number 53. We're getting real aggressive, like I said. There's no way in the world you can tell me Kyir Elam is the 53rd most talented player in this draft. He's not. He's better than that. He's not. But- and to, to take a chance on him mid-round two, um, when you still have a bunch of draft picks left, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. it. Uh, I can't argue with the sentiment there. I just do not want to touch any player coming out of the University of Florida with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> they just do not... 
they do not they don't settle in in Jacksonville. It's, and uh, it's strange. I mean, do you want to go through the list? Oh, we had Derek Harvey, Taven Bryant recently, CJ Henderson. I mean, I'm sure there's more, but those are the first, you know the, the three that come to well, mind. Yes. I mean, we've got to go back, but we can Jawan talk about Taylor. Fred Taylor, Fred Taylor, Mike Peterson. You've had some studs, but you certainly had many, many more duds since. Yeah, then. I get it's that. The new era. I get the that. new era. The new era has not been kind to us. But yeah, like you said, Kyrie Elam. There's no way. What what number did you have him at exactly? Fifty. Yeah, he, there's there's no way he's there are fifty two players better than Kyrie Elam in this draft. But you know, it, it's it, again, you need depth in the defensive backfield. You need depth at cornerback. And if you think this guy yeah. is one of those top 50 players in the draft and you're getting them there at 53, you're moving up, you're being aggressive, you're adding depth to your cornerback room. It would be a great pick if he can at least play for a full season. I think he would probably uh, do better than a few of the uh, <laughs> recent Florida picks that we've had. So, Well, I'll tell you one thing. He would not have nearly as much pressure on him because those guys that have failed have been high draft picks. Tim Brown's um, the 28th now- pick in the draft. Yeah, he's a first-round pick. He was their first pick. If they took Kair Elam, Elam here, he would be their fourth draft selection. There would not be that same pressure, even though he is still being picked in the second round. Does that make sense? It does, but I also think the situation that you have to consider, right? CJ Henderson, unfortunately for him, you know whatever he has going on, was the ninth pick in the draft, and he was brought here to be the new Jalen Ramsey, right? He was brought here to be the guy. I'll give him that. That's a ton of pressure. But when you're looking at a guy like Taven Bryan, 28th pick in the draft after the Jaguars just had a stellar. Well, he just wasn't very good. He wasn't very good, but I, I don't. But think- there's not going to be pressure on Elam to be very good immediately because of a he's going to be the third outside corner to start. Probably will have a certain couple packages that he gets in on early, but there's just no pressure. Yeah. Um, in this situation, I agree with you on that. There's there's definitely not any pressure on him to to show up and 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 you know be that guy right away. 100 percent agree. And then Chad Muma, I've got him out of Wyoming at 84. Another trade-up. I have three-day, two trade-ups. That is, I don't trade up in the first round because the value's not there, but on day two, I'm all about it. Chad Muma, I think he's going to be a starting uh, middle linebacker for a long time. I think he gives you the ability to stop the run, drop back into zone coverages, which the Jaguars will employ often, and communicate the play calls, which he's already been doing for a long time, Three miles jack up to just go uh, chase the ball. Yeah, I love Chad Muma. Love him as a middle linebacker, uh, but he is not allowed to ever grow his hair out past his shoulders. I don't care what the situation is. Uh, I can I can no longer have any wild Wyoming boys out there running around with long hair. Can't do it. <laughs> love it. Um, and then I got Tyler Algier out of BYU at 195. This isn't necessarily it needs to be Algier, although he absolutely fits the Jaguars' zone rushing attack. He's been doing it at BYU for a long time. He has that vision and the lateral quickness and contact balance that you're really looking for in these zone runners. Uh, But I just think grabbing someone at some point in the draft that should either of your top two guys at running back take a while to recover or anything unfortunate happen in the future. You've got another guy that you think can go out there and carry the load if he needs to. Yeah. Th- this would be the f- a fourth round pick for us. Mm. Is this- we're, we're in the sixth, sixth round. Okay. So even better here. Cause uh, I, I would like that to be James cook uh, and or Damian Pierce, mm-hmm. because that means they made it past the Me fourth too. round and I win our bet. So 
uh, <laughs> I, I'd rather us go that way. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie and act like I know a lot about Tyler Algier. I truthfully don't. BYU is only on TV when I'm asleep. Um, but you know, uh, you, we talked about the idea this, of that type of back. The idea of any back is the point. Yeah, the idea of any back, I think, at that point is is a great idea. We talked about it. Um, a couple weeks ago on the podcast, just what do you do now that you have Travis Etienne coming back and with the whole James Robinson situation? Both of these guys have injury histories, right? And and it's in their feet. And we already know that running backs have a short shelf life as it is. But foot injuries for running backs are a nightmare and a huge question mark, especially when it's a list frank injury or a stress fracture. Those kind of things, you don't know what's going to happen. Those kind of things ruin guys' careers. And you have to always have it in the back of your mind as somber and and as shitty as it is, you have to have that possibility back there. So you got to get some depth in the running back room, some legitimate depth. So I think really anybody uh, who's available at that spot, if we're ta- you know talking about some of these big names out there, would be uh, yeah. a definite boost. And it, it, if I hadn't been so aggressive on day two here, we could have gotten a Damian Pierce or a, a James Cook, but uh, I just kind of – put all my cards on the table trying to go get George Pickens, Kyrie Elam, and Chad Muma, and I don't regret that. No, as you should. I, they could be, how many? Yeah. We have 15 picks. Not literally, but we have so many 12. picks. 12 picks. And what happened last time we had 12 picks? Not a damn thing. Yeah. Start packaging some of these up. Start moving around. Go get players, right? F them picks. Let's need, right? F them picks. Go go get some players, <laughs> right? Let's package up a couple of these picks for next year, this year. Go get some guys that are proven. I would not be opposed to that either. Yeah, and then to round it out, I've just got Jeffrey Gunter from Coastal Carolina, who some people might have seen a lot in 2020 uh, when they had that kind of fantastic run. But he's going to be your your edge, uh, you know, two-point stance, 3-4 edge. That's going to be an early down player. He's going to be able to stuff the run and maybe develop more as a pass rusher, but he's not that athlete you really look for when you talk about the 3-4 edge rusher. He's more of the run defender, early down guy, but those guys can be valuable. Yeah, the only thing that I didn't see in your draft uh, was a tight end, and do you think that addressing the tight end in free agency is enough for us to not target one in the draft? Because I know we talked about it a bunch, and I'm sure yeah. the fans around are, are thinking it too, right? Tight end is, is that big of a need. Do you address that in free agency only, or do you go out and get a guy like Jalen Weidermeyer um, or your guy is likely uh, to at least bolster that position a little bit deeper? I really just think if you have Zach Ertz and Dan Arnold, you're in good shape. Really? Yeah, I really do. Mm-hmm. And now I would not mind going and grabbing one of these tight ends this year because I think in rounds three through six, there's a lot of value at those positions. But um, instead of attacking a position of need like that, perceived need, I just kind kind of went and got the best players I saw. You know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, and I, I would not blame them for adding another tight end, certainly. But I don't think Manhurts is going to be cut. I think they're going to keep him. I think that Luke Farrell has a good enough combination of potential and physicality and athleticism to keep around. And then you're looking at Ertz and Arnold as your premier guys. Uh, but, yeah, I would not have a problem with addressing tight end further. And then Demarion Williams, I have him as their last pick. He's just a guy that has the potential to be a starting nickel in the NFL and to get him that late in the draft. I think 
that's the type of position you want to attack late because it's not as valued because he's an undersized guy. But he's a guy that, like Bryce Callahan, who is more of that veteran that I have the Jaguars signing. Damarian Williams could develop into a Bryce Callahan type player. He has the quickness, the ball skills, and a really good feel for zone coverage. Yeah, don't know who that is either. To be completely honest with you, I'll have to <laughs> have to brush up a little bit on my late round guys. Well, but okay, so Houston, if you want to watch some of their tape, they've got Damarian Williams, who's probably going to be drafted. Marcus Jones, who is similar to Marion Williams, but he's probably going to go on day two because he's also like an all-world return man to go along with being able to play nickel and outside. He's just small right. as well. And they've also got Logan Hall, who's probably going to be a late first or early second round pick um, on the defensive line. Some, so they're worth watching. Yeah, we'll definitely look into it as we get closer. Something I will say, and, and I know fans are going to like this, the Jaguars are going to have to address special teams. Uh, namely the kicker position. So I wouldn't be super surprised if they take a flyer on somebody here in the late rounds and draft a kicker. We are going to have yeah. to get better on special teams. Yeah, I had them just going after a couple young guys in undrafted free agency and maybe bringing in some vets, but I also I am not I don't scout kickers, <laughs> you know. Well, that's just not what I do. No. Uh but if they feel that there's a kicker there in the 6th or 7th round that they can go grab. I know Cade York is probably the number one guy this year out of LSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, if they feel like going and grabbing one, absolutely. Well, I mean, you kind of see what McPherson did for the Bengals this year. I mean, obviously, you know, we, there's still a, a legitimate value yeah. price on a kicker, but having a guy like that is a huge boost to your team. I mean, he got them to places they probably shouldn't have been. Yeah, kickers are football players too. I agree with you 100%. I just didn't feel comfortable I, projecting where they would land. Uh, I didn't say honestly. all that. I didn't, I didn't say all that. I didn't go that far, but they are important. <laughs> yeah, they are. But so I think there's a few things that the Jaguars have to focus on this year. It's having a plan, a coordinated plan of attack. And I think that plan of attack has to include, and the, the focal point needs to be the offensive line and targets for Trevor Lawrence to throw the ball to. Bar none. You can try to improve the defense here and there, but this offseason has to be, like you said, about fixing it around Trevor. Yeah, and if you already don't have that plan, you're behind the eight ball. Yeah. That needs to have happened already. I know that Doug just got here a couple weeks ago, but that should have obviously been in his mind. I'm sure he was sitting at home looking at all the possibilities, all the places that he could go and, and you know was already working on devising plans, but you have to have that plan ready to go now because, like you said, you know, we talked about earlier – the tag window has opened, right? The NFL offseason has started. It's time to go. It's time to go, and it's time to make some upgrades, and I can't wait to see the moves that are made, and I hope it's not just a quiet, dormant spring like it was last year. Oof. That'd be hurt. That, 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 that would be hurtful. That would hurt. I know. I don't want to talk about that uh, on this show. Hopefully, that's not what we're going to be dealing with because they've got to go do everything they can to help Trevor Lawrence out. I don't know how many times we can say it, but uh, unless you've got anything else, that's going to wrap us up here. It's all for me, man. All right. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed this. Talked about our mock off season or my mock off season. Um, Certainly not everything I did here is something that is set in stone in terms of how I feel, but it was just an example of how I could uh, run the offseason for the Jaguars. I think it would put Trevor Lawrence in a much better position to succeed, give the defense a chance to improve, and uh, 
there's some options that you brought up that could be even better than what I what I came up with in terms of maybe getting a receiver that's better than Allen Robinson, <laughs> trading for Amari Cooper. I get that. Uh, I don't. There's more than one way to skin this cat this offseason, but the only way is to get Trevor Lawrence targets and to protect. How him. many ways do you know so, how to cat? We don't need to get into that right now, Jerry. <laughs> for another time. It's for a different podcast, not the Gen Jack podcast. That's right. Yeah, we don't skin cats here on the Gen Jag podcast where we cover the Jaguars. No cats were harmed in the making of this podcast. <laughs> a couple egos maybe, right. but no cats. Certainly egos, feelings, but no cats. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for us here, Jeremy. Uh, appreciate you as always. Appreciate our listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in, for supporting the show. Uh, if you enjoy us, please go like and subscribe on all your different um, social media and podcast platforms leave us reviews all that good stuff really helps us out and enjoy the rest of your week duval and go jags <laughs>